Good morning, ladies. Welcome to week four. We had a great lesson this week. It's like it was awesome that we finally got to get into building this tabernacle structure, right? And I know in uh, our discussion group, it just felt like, oh, we've, we've hit a spot that um, feels a little bit less daunting and detailed, although there was still a ton of detail. Um, but I'm really proud of you ladies and proud of all of us for still being here. Um, and I hope that the clear pictures of Jesus in all of this is starting to come through for you. I know it was in our discussion. It was really becoming personal, you know, and beautiful. So um, I'm going to dive in to what we have here today. Um, we ended our time last week with Priscilla. This is going to bother me because every time I move my head, it changes. And I need this to be a little... Say again? No, no, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> So last week we ended, Priscilla was reminding us that God's presence is everything. Um, she asked us the question, is it everything for us? We can have all the material and earthly blessings, blessings, but without his presence to go with us, it's all going to end in a mess. Life is hard, and life without God's presence is even harder. We saw proof of that in the beginning of our study, right, when we looked at humanity trying to do life without God. We see proof of it in our world today uh, with so much war and hatred and atrocities happening right now while we're sitting in here. His presence promises to dispel our anxiety. His presence promises to give us protection, provision, guidance, and light. It reveals what's true and what's false. His presence leads us away from brokenness and into healing. His presence is our real home. That's what we've been meant for. So today, my friends, I want us to cry out for more of his presence. And to help us do that, I want us to look at the altar of sacrifice just inside the gate of the tabernacle. And we're going to view it from its four corners, those four horns, four fresh perspectives on the cross. We got it up there. We should have a picture of our... There it is. So as you've been studying, there have been so many details about materials and colors and all that fun stuff, and it's probably felt like a little too much at times, right? But it's all just about one thing, ladies. It's pointing to Jesus, our Savior and God. We who have believed on Jesus are now his dwelling place. The title of our study, after all, is a, woman, a woman's heart, God's dwelling place, right? So for the Israelites, there was no access to God's presence without first stopping at that altar, and offering um, a spotless lamb, but there was no access to God's presence either for us without going through Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So um, in Exodus, we had seen um, in a part of our study in 29, 42 through 46, God said of this altar, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I, God, will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified for my glory. So God had this tabernacle erected so he could meet with his people there and speak with them to give them his presence. Today God still has the same desire, but now he speaks to his people through faith in Jesus by his spirit and his word, and we experience his presence there. The altar of sacrifice is the cross of Christ for us, right? Jesus is the spotless lamb. John the Baptist said of him in the wilderness, Behold, look, here he comes, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So I'm just going to ask right now, Lord, I just thank you for this altar. I thank you for your cross. And Lord, because you promised to speak to us through these, these very tangible objects, Lord, in front of us, Lord, would you speak to us here today? So we're going to look at this altar again. It's one altar with four corners. You can see it there. We studied all the details about what it's made out of, the symbolism of the horns and all that good stuff. Today we're going to just focus on these four different perspectives in which the altar and the cross of Christ can minister to our deepest needs now. So the first place we're going to stop is to stand at the first corner and we're going to gaze into the altar of sacrifice from the perspective of awe. So we come to a place of awe when we get an unexpected glimpse of God, His holiness, His power, His glory. So this is your first fill in the blank. You'll have some different slides up here, but not all of them are for your book. You're only going to have a few of those. So a place of awe. Now we're going to look at a portion of scripture where we actually see this happen to a man named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God. He'd been speaking already for God to Israel. Um, and he has another encounter with God. And this is how it goes. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. As we have learned, there is a heavenly reality of this earthly tabernacle. God's eternal dwelling really exists in some other realm or dimension. And every now and then, he gives someone a glimpse of it. And when it is seen, it drops those who see it to their knees. This is our God, ladies, on display. This is the one who is seated on the throne, who scripture tells us loves you and loves me, who sees your every need, who is calling you to trust and believe in his power and goodness towards you, the one who initiated a return to relationship with himself, the one who instructed that this altar be built so he could come and be with his people even in a desert. Not everyone experiences a personal, <laughs> at a personal level like Isaiah did, but it's here for us to see on scripture and it's real. So can you imagine sitting down to pray and all of a sudden you're transported into this moment? That's awe. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Revelations chapter 4, and right here we have these consistent images of this realm where God's presence is. Every time someone experiences it, they're undone. These seraphim, these angelic beings, we see here they're encircling the throne in fresh awe every moment. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's the way they see him always. So the verse goes on. I'm going to, yeah, woe to me, I, or Isaiah, cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away and your sin atoned for. Atoned for. Remember that. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. See, Isaiah does not only get a powerful vision of seeing God Almighty, but in the light of God's presence, Isaiah gets a fresh glimpse of himself. He's undone and he sees himself as wretched and unclean. 
But by the time the encounter is over, Isaiah is saying, hey, God, here I am. Send me. I'm your guy. Amazing, right? Like what happened in there? The more that we're in the light of God's presence, the more he's going to shine on the details of our lives. We have a tendency to take that revelation of our wretchedness and turn it into a reason to condemn ourselves and have a pity party. But have we ever thought, maybe this revelation about myself means I'm getting closer to God? Maybe this is what the beginning of transformation looks like and feels like. Because the closer we get into that light, the more we can see. Not so we feel condemned, but that we would be in a greater state of humility, a greater state of awe, a greater state of desire for God to remove the broken parts of us and replace them with new life, and then to send us out. Maybe as you've been in this study, reading the scriptures, sitting in your groups, you've discovered things in your heart and seen things you weren't aware were there. That's good. That's the Holy Spirit at work. So don't be afraid. Don't feel shame. A real encounter, true intimacy with God will always bring humility and confession and desire to obey what he has for us. We won't won't desire change until we see our need for change. Now, the enemy also loves to turn that into condemnation, causing us to run and hide. We hear, you're not good enough. See how you failed again. No one can know what you're really like. God is not here to condemn us, but instead to provide the cleansing and compassion that we need to beckon us to draw near, to be made new, to let him cover us and bring healing work, calling us to step into new and greater challenges. His kingdom is about recreation restoration, and rejuvenation. So as we continue on in this study, let's not be afraid to step farther into that light and ask him to reveal to us our hearts. What's going on in there? Let's be like Isaiah and receive the forgiveness in such a way that we're excited to step out in power and confidence to serve and live for him. This made me think of David's heart cry in Psalm 139. At the end, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So come into the presence of God today. Be in awe. Let him shine that light of truth over you. Let him give you a fresh calling. Okay, we're going to stay in the Isaiah passage um, and we'll walk to the next corner of the altar, which you don't have in front of you right now, but just imagine walking to the next corner. In light of all that we've just looked at, we're going to next see the altar of the cross as a place of relief. That's your next fill in the blank, a place of relief. You and I might need some relief today. I know as I talk to you ladies, I I can hear it. I know it in myself. We're going to go back to verse 6 of the Isaiah passage. Then the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What season of life are you in? When was the last time you sat down and said, God, I feel like a mess, and this is out of sorts, and that is out of sorts? Has it been a while since we just sat down and let him minister to us? Sometimes we need to sit in his presence. You've been hearing this on Sundays. You've been, had it in our abide study last year. Rest in his presence is what we need. Are you heavy with something that has not been dealt with? A place of relief. You need to talk it through. Well, your sin has been atoned for, ladies, and now you can sit freely and genuinely in his presence and tell him everything. 
You don't have to be afraid. I know we know that in our heads, but do we live it in our hearts? Nothing is separating you. Thanks to Jesus. So we see those words atone for. This is our next fill in the blank. In 6-7, the Hebrew transliteration kapar means to cover, to make reconciliation. It's often used with reference to covering sin with the blood of sacrifice. To appease, to fulfill, and satisfy something or someone. You see, God was satisfied, and he accepted the sacrifice of his son's death in our place completely. Reconciliation means to be reunited again in a relationship. You're free to run to him for relief. He is our friend and savior. He's inviting you into that relief. Remember, Priscilla talked a lot about friendship with God last week and what that could look like. Even in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and to reconcile all things, whether earth or heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Everything about the altar pointed to the cross of Christ. There was not enough blood from any animal sacrifice. They had to do them over and over and over again. Never enough for it to heal the ground from the curse. It was never enough until there was that one. And Hebrews 9.26 says, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. I keep repeating myself, but the altar of sacrifice is the cross of Christ for us. We need a fresh encounter daily, just like they did. They had the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. It wasn't to be saved again, but to be refreshed and relieved over and over to get out from underneath the discouragement, hardness of heart, walls, complacency, apathy. All of that builds up. We can forget how forgiven we are how much his presence can give us courage and comfort. We can wake up daily and somehow forget that God's presence is ready to be part of our day, that he takes delight in being with us. This matters, ladies, because what you wake up believing every day will determine your behavior, your emotional stability, how you process the daily news, your fears and your worries. We're going to turn to Psalm 32 to finish off this idea. I'll read it for you here from the screen. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while they may be found, while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. God says, come to me, but be honest with me. If you want to have fresh encounter, we have to come with no deceit, as verse 2 said. Verses 3 through 5, when we wait and wait and wait and we keep quiet, it says, day and night his hand was heavy upon me, but then I acknowledged my sin. Or maybe it's not sin, maybe it's just burdens and fears. But when we do, he meets us, he gives us relief, he forgives us. So I had said in my first teaching, don't you cover up before God. Remember, he wants to cover us. 
He wants to cover our shame just like he did in the garden. I will cover you, he says, but you must bring it to him. When you confess your sins, your worries, your fears, you get up off your knees and you accept that forgiveness. Know that he has heard you. You have been made clean. Believe him for that forgiveness and don't go back. Don't go back. As we walk around the altar, the third corner we see is a place of refuge. Your next fill in the blank. Now this we had in our study, um, Kings 1, 50-53. We're not going to actually see the scripture. I'm going to kind of do a quick summary of it. Um, But we read about how the horns of the altar were allowed to be a place of refuge. So to summarize, in Israel's time, someone who found themselves caught up in a mess, an unintentional sin, maybe they even killed someone accidentally, they could run into this gate, grab hold of the horns of the altar, and they, could be, they were basically saying, I want to be under the mercy of God as opposed to the judgment of man. They grasped hold of that altar, and they would be protected from the person that they had offended. They would grab onto the horn, and God would show if their hearts were sincere or if they were not. Now, that's kind of a scary thing. But if they were sincere, again, God's grace like, allowed them. It's like, no, 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 you're okay. We're so, you know, man might have said, no, that's it. You hurt me. You're, you're done. So it became a place of refuge for the people of Israel. Now, Jesus, he's also called our horn of salvation, and he's our refuge. We come and grab onto him in the same scenarios. We've made a mess of something. We've hurt someone unintentionally. Instead of sweeping it under the rug, running and hiding from whomever we hurt, allowing division and pain to remain, we go and we grab onto him in faith and be honest before him. And God's mercy will pour out on us, and he'll show us the way to make amends. God's grace also is able to minister to the persons that we've hurt. So who here needs to grab on to Jesus today? You come and be honest with him. You pour out your heart. He's a refuge. Psalm 62, I love this, that it just says this. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. This doesn't mean that we have consequences to our actions or discipline, but we never receive what our sin deserves. So let's grab on to Jesus. We have one more perspective, and that is a a place of unexpected joy. Again, in Leviticus and in Numbers, we have the opportunity to look at the very end of this whole thing of of preparing the the tabernacle and the altar of sacrifice. Remember, Moses and Aaron, they went in, they, they finished the work, and when they came out, they raised their hands and they blessed the people. They would say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And hopefully at the end of that blessing, blessing it'd be woof, God's fire came down on that altar and consumed every single bit of that offering because he said, I will receive that. The Lord was satisfied and accepted the offering and made that altar holy. Then all the people, it says, shouted for joy and fell face down. You got to realize for a moment, up to that moment, these people in a sense would have all been holding their breath, okay? Because <laughs> did they get it right? Even Moses and Aaron, did we do it all right? There were so many specific details for them to do so that when that fire fell, they knew God was happy and they could now have the presence of God in their midst. And guess what? After Jesus' death on the cross, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. God had accepted his son's sacrifice completely. His resurrection was proof. But before that proof happened, those disciples had some long hours to wonder, I don't know what happened, what happened? That made the resurrection morning the most joyous morning of all. 
Can you imagine being Mary at that tomb? And you're there, you're grieving over the man who's been the most important person in your life. You think he's gone, and then there he is. He appears. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The Father was pleased with that sacrifice, and that meant that everyone who looks to him can have joy and hope that death and sin have been conquered. Friendship and life with God is a reality again. There's joy to be had, ladies. So uh, we wrap it up looking one more time at Psalm 32.1. Blessed is the man. The word blessed here is happy, blissful. Not that usual word for blessed. Happy, blissful is the one who realizes she is forgiven and empowered for a new life. If we really got this, ladies, and you got to hear Beth Moore saying this, if we really got this, we would be happy about it. <laughs> we are down in the mouth oftentimes and discouraged because we don't really believe God for it. So we're not seeing the cross for the gift that it is. Or sometimes we believe and sometimes we don't. So today, ladies, I'm encouraging you, press into the beauty of the cross and partake of the gift that it's meant to be. We're going to end this time. We've got just about nine minutes but I just want us to kind of settle down. We're going to sit before the Lord. I'm going to say some things over you. You've got paper on your table if you need it, if you want to say things to God. But let's come to the altar in awe of God who loves us so much that he himself provided the payment necessary for the debt that he was owed. Let's come to the altar today for relief of whatever heaviness you are feeling Ladies, you are in a safe place before God. He really is a refuge for you. Hold on to that horn. What is weighing heavy on you? Tell him how tired you are. Tell him what you are so addicted to. Talk to him about that broken relationship. who you're mad at. Maybe you're even mad at him. He can take it. Cry out to him for his presence to draw you closer. He is here with us now. Whatever you need.
maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. He's here. He's saying, I was the lamb on that altar. I was tied to those horns for you. Your sin kept you from God, but I'm here to pay. No longer do you need to stay at a distance. Just tell him you want him to dwell in your heart and be your God too. you to hear him say to you I love you I forgive you I understand hear him say trust me I will never leave you or forsake you daughters of the king he says to you today I'm asking you to believe me as you believe me you will walk in my power you will see the path before you all of history has been pointing to me I've made it clear I love you And now, Lord Jesus, we ask in your precious name as we leave this place that we will feel a lightness over our souls and it will hit us. I think I'm happy because I no longer bear the weight of that anymore. I am free in the mighty name and power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.